Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Glory to God. Amen. God can do anything. See, when we put our faith out for something, uh, you know, uh, sometimes the enemy will try to talk into our ear and say, well, you know, I'm, you're, I'm believing for this, but there's just no way this can happen. But anything can happen. God can bring it about any way he chooses. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Well, let's go into the word tonight. Praise the Lord. And I want you to go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to continue on the theme that we were on two weeks ago and uh, continue on that tonight. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Let's look at verse number 14 and 15 and then we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Timothy chapter 3. <clears throat> Paul's writing, of course, to Timothy, a young minister. He said, these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Notice he calls the church the pillar and ground of the, of the truth, the church of the living God. He also calls it the house of God. But, he noted, but notice he said, I'm writing this so that you'll know how to conduct yourself in the house of God. So this is talking about particularly in the local church setting. is isn't talking about the universal church, though what he described here of the church would apply to the universal church. He's talking about it in a local setting because he's telling Timothy how he is to behave himself or conduct himself in the house of God, in the local church. Again, not talking about the building, but talking about the company of believers that comprise the church, amen? Uh, then we'll go with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Hallelujah. Are you blessed tonight? Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, in the very last verse of this chapter, says, Let all things be done decently and in order. Now, uh, tradition and I, I should say backslidden tradition, the traditions of the modern church has interpreted doing things decently and in order as doing things in just a cold, dead formalism so that nothing is out of what they consider out of order, having everything just set, just so, uh, very solemn, very uh, religious, and they consider that decent and in order. And people who... Uh, who sometimes are hear about a Pentecostal service and the move of the Spirit, you know, they'll say, well, we believe in doing things decently and in order, and, uh, and that's not decent and in order. But in this chapter, we find out that Paul encourages a lot of things that uh, many modern-day people wouldn't consider to be in order, but they are in order. Amen? To having uh, Pentecostal services. Now, I said this last time, uh, or last uh, uh, two weeks ago, to, uh, to all of you, you should be people of the Spirit. We should all be people of the Spirit, people of the Holy Spirit, filled with the Spirit. Amen. We, we believe in being filled with the Spirit, but let's go ahead and be filled and stay filled, continually being filled with the Spirit in our own personal lives. And, and I, I said to the younger people among us, of course, it's, it's true for anybody, but uh, we have to pass on the truth and the reality, not just the concept truth, but the reality, the actual move of the Spirit. We have to communicate that to the next generation. Amen. Because if we don't communicate it, it'll be lost. I'm, I'm saying, you know, uh, uh, if Jesus doesn't return, of course, if Jesus doesn't return, all of this works itself out. We're gonna go, we're gonna be with the Lord. But we don't know when he's coming. Isn't that right? We can't say for sure he's coming this year or next year or any particular year or even in our generation. We, we feel like he is. We, we tend to believe and we can see the signs of the time would indicate that he's coming soon in our lifetime. But we don't know for sure. 
And so we have to safeguard the things God has given to us and imparted to us. We have to safeguard these things and we have to communicate them to the next generation. Amen. See, if you're not a person of the Spirit yourself, if you're the kind of individual that uh, believes in the power of God, believes in the gifts of the Spirit, but you don't personally get involved in it, you don't personally experience these things, they're not really uh, uh, real in your life in the sense of uh, experiencing these things and having these things in your life, Uh, I'm talking to parents, you won't communicate to your children the value of the things that maybe you really do value in your heart and you really see as as important uh, in the church, but because you don't really have those things in in your life, you're not gonna communicate that to your children. I've been in Pentecostal uh, circles all of my life. I was born, you know, and, and raised in a Pentecostal church, and my uh, my uh, grandparents uh, were members of a Pentecostal church. And you know, I've said this before: in in, in the early days of the 20th century, my uh, paternal grandmother was one of the founding members of of our particular Pentecostal denomination in that city, the very first church of that denomination in in Jacksonville, Florida. And uh, and before then, uh, she. And my great uncles had been uh, itinerant evangelists and uh, uh, she worked with her brothers, my, my great uncles, and they went around all over North Florida and, and, and Southern Georgia and, and these areas uh, in, in that part of, the, uh, of these states and, and held brush arbor meetings. Now, if you don't know what a brush arbor meeting is, they would build a small little uh, 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 Platform uh, or, or, or uh, covering, you know, just put some, erect some poles and, and put uh, some branches on the top of it, you know, just to make it, uh, a little make uh, do area to preach from and, uh, and they would just go out in the country and just hold these open air meetings and people would come and, and hear the gospel preach. They'd go to just a little communities, little settlements, you know, way back where, you know, where nobody went and just preach and get people saved. My grandmother would, would play the accordion and then later, you know, as they, as they established churches, she would play the piano and, and, uh, and lead singing and, and her brothers would preach. And, and, uh, and so they were uh, really part of the pioneer era of the Pentecostal movement. So I've, I was raised in this tradition and yet the denomination that I grew up in today uh, less than half of the people in the, in the church, half of the members are even baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the gifts of the Spirit rarely function, rarely operate. Uh, and there, there are a couple of churches here and there that might be one that's different. But overall, uh, the Spirit of God doesn't move anymore. They still have this doctrine on the books. But you look out over the congregation and, and not very many people are even baptized in the Holy Spirit. Don't even speak in tongues in their private lives. And it's just a form, it's just a tradition that's been passed down, but the life of it doesn't exist anymore in large measure. Well, uh, we, have to, we have to make sure that we stir ourselves up. Again, you're not going to communicate to your descendants uh, something that is not vital in your life. Isn't that right? If you're not passionate about the things of God, your children won't be passionate about the things of God. Amen. And, and we all should stir ourselves up. But, uh, but especially the younger people. You know, be, be people of the Spirit. Yes. Amen. Uh, I, I came across this quote from Donald G. I've been reading some, some material by him. And uh, Donald G. was a, a very prolific uh, writer and teacher in the early days of the Pentecostal uh, revival in America and, and in Britain. He traveled across the ocean and, and, and taught uh, in, in Britain and taught in the United States as well and a lot of camp meetings and a lot of uh, Bible schools he, he ministered in and so forth. He was, his, he was uh, uh, called the apostle of balance because in a time when, when there was a lot of spurious doctrines floating around in the church, uh, he managed to bring some real balance uh, into these things and really uh, protected the church from going off, the, the Pentecostal churches that is, from going off into error and some things. And so he was widely re- regarded. And in a book that he published in 1937, it's entitled Concerning Spiritual Gifts. And the author again is Donald G. He made this statement. He said, one of the greatest responsibilities. Now he was, 
This quote comes from a chapter on the gift of prophecy. But what he says about prophecy would also be true with tongues and interpretation. He said, one of the greatest responsibilities entrusted to us today is the preservation of the actual exercise of the gifts of inspired utterance in the church. It is so easy to stand for these gifts theoretically and doctrinally without actually manifesting them. Now, now notice, that he said this in 1937. And, and the, the Pentecostal uh, revival was really just on its feet good. And, and he made this uh, statement and gave this warning. He said, it's so easy to stand for these gifts theoretically and doctrinally without actually manifesting them. It is certain to cost something to stand for the real gift of prophecy, I would include tongues and interpretation, and to give them their lawful place in our churches today. But unless we do so, one very big purpose of God in the outpouring of the Spirit will be frustrated. Well, that's true, isn't it? And so uh, we need, to, we need to, to always be looking at the first generation of the church through the scriptures and what did they do? What did they have? We ought to have everything they had. Amen. We ought to have every experience they had. The things that happened in the local church in the book, in the, in the book of Acts, in the days of, of the first generation of believers, ought to be happening in our churches. Now, culture changes, time changes, and, and uh, 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 cultural uh, 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 mores or, or just cultural ideas and circumstances change. But the scripture doesn't change. God doesn't change. And his plan for the church hasn't changed. Amen. Glory to God. And so, you know, uh, what were the elements of a typical New Testament church service in the days that, uh, right after the day of Pentecost, the days in which uh, the epistles were written? What was a church service actually like? I'm convinced that, that there was a vitality and a freshness and a spontaneity and, and uh, uh just a, 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 an exercise of freedom and uh, so forth in the spirit that would be hard to recognize today and, and would be, I think, even shocking to most Christians today because, you know, we've, we've evolved and uh, we have our ways of doing things. But if we're not careful, we allow uh, uh, traditions and customs of, that, have, that have been passed down by more recent generations to supplant the traditions that have been passed down from the Bible. We have to have what God has for the church, amen? And so in a typical service, according to the New Testament, they would have praise and worship. Says they, you know, were constantly praising God, having favor with the people. Prayer was part of the uh, services when the early church met together. The breaking of bread and communion. And it seems that, uh, you know, in those days there was the culture, particularly in the church in Jerusalem. You know, the, the, the church was uh, first got its start in Jerusalem and was made up primarily of people who had been Jews and they came to Christ and were born again and were uh, inducted into the church. And so there, there would naturally be some tendencies to do things the way uh, they had been done in, in Israel and under the old covenant. And uh, the Jews loved to have feasts. I mean, every time they got together, they ate. I heard somebody not long ago say they had just one real quick summary for all of the feasts of Israel. All of the feasts of Israel put, could be summarized like this. Somebody attacked us. We killed them. Let's eat. And, and uh, I think that's pretty good. But uh, they had festivals where, the, where they ate together. Well, when the early church first came together, they would break bread together. And it was really an, an actual meal that they had and they ate together. And it's, it's sometimes it's unclear to, to determine if that was a separate thing from the communion that they observed or, or if it was just incorporated into, into communion. But they, they would break bread together and uh, they would have communion. Well, we don't break bread together because, again, I think that was more of a, of a Jewish tradition that it brought into the church. We really don't see it in the descriptions 
of the churches that were Gentile by nature, the churches that Paul established and so forth. You don't necessarily see that. You do see communion. Well, we observe communion. Now, they observe communion every time they got together or once a week at least. Uh, we don't do that. Some churches do that today. And the reason we don't do that is we're not commanded to do that. There's not uh, any place in the scripture where it tells us that we must observe communion every time we come together. But it does tell us that as often as we do it, how to do it. Well, you know, we around here, we observe communion once every uh, three months, once a quarter. And uh, we'll be having communion this coming Sunday. And the reason we do it uh, uh, with that frequency is I don't ever want it to become routine. I don't want it ever to ever become just a, a meaningless uh, ceremony. You know, anything that is sort of ritualistic by nature, which receiving communion is a very symbolic uh, thing, it can easily become nothing but a dead ritual. And so to prevent it from being that uh, 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 evolving or devolving into such a, a meaningless tradition. We only do it once every three months so that when we do do it, we can really uh, you know, focus on it and draw the life out of it. Isn't that right? So they had communion on a regular basis, more often than we do, but they had communion. But uh, of course they had preaching and teaching. Now I wanna go through these scriptures uh, on preaching and teaching. There's a reason I wanna do this. Go with me first of all to 2 Timothy chapter four. 2 Timothy chapter four. Because we want to see tonight some other ways that the spirit moved, but we want to keep it in balance. 2 Timothy chapter four, verse number two. Paul told Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. He said, preach the word. But he includes in here teaching and exhorting and, and the word is supposed to be the thing that brings correction into our lives. Amen? Rebuke comes from the word. It doesn't come from some despot, you know, minister who, uh, you know, rules over a congregation correcting everything and rebuking everybody. The word brings rebuke. The word brings correction. Isn't that right? We should always be judging our lives and our conduct in line with the word of God. What does the word say? Amen? And, but he said, preach the word, minister the word, preach and teach the word of God. Turn with me over to 1 Timothy chapter four. 1 Timothy chapter four. Verse six says, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of good doctrine, which you have carefully followed. So good doctrine was something that was essential in, in the church of the first generation. They believed in solid teaching uh, and communicating things to, to the brethren. If you go on down to verse number uh, 13, he says, till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. That word doctrine again means teaching. Give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to teaching. And so the, the minister was established in the church. Now, tradition says that Timothy was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. I'm talking about tradition you know, from the early centuries. Well, I don't know if he was or not, but he, he was obviously a young minister that the apostle Paul had nurtured. Uh, the Bible actually says that Timothy was an apostle in his own right, but, you know, there are different levels in these ministry offices. And he wasn't uh, an apostle on the same level that the apostle Paul was. The apostle Paul was what was called, he was what was called a foundational apostle. The Bible talks about the New Testament and the church being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The Lord Jesus being the cornerstone. Well, the, there were foundational apostles and prophets. Paul was one, Peter, James, John, some of these other men were foundational because the scriptures they gave provided the foundation for the church. They spoke as the Spirit of God moved upon them and what they said was, was recorded. And we have that for scripture today. But there were uh, uh, apostles and prophets, uh, prophets of lower levels, nonetheless anointed of the Spirit. Timothy was one of these, but he was also a minister where evidently where he had a congregation on a regular basis. And so the tradition evolved that he was the pastor of the church of Ephesus. He may well have been. But I want you to notice that Paul told him to instruct the brethren 
to be careful to have good doctrine, to, uh, to give attention to reading, that is reading the scriptures, exhortation and doctrine. Let's go on over to 1 Timothy chapter three. And then here Paul gives the qualifications for bishops. And we know bishops uh, are overseers or uh, just another word for the pastoral office. He said, if any man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not greedy, or not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. If a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take, will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, being lifted up, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, that is outside the church, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. I want you to notice that the pastor must be able to teach. In fact, in Ephesians, where you read about the list of the fivefold ministries, the pastor, uh, pastoral and teaching gift is connected there. It's, it's hyphenated. It says, you know, God has said in the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And so the way it's written in the Greek, the pastors were also teachers. And so there are teachers that, uh, that are not pastors, but a true pastor will be able to teach the word of God. And so again, we see that there was a pastor in these churches and it was his responsibility to exhort and to teach and so forth. Uh, also, the, a parallel uh, passage to, the, to this is in Titus chapter one. Titus chapter one. For this reason, verse five, Paul said, I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders. Well, again, elders are pastors in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince those who contradict. So again, you can see that the church was presided over by those who were involved in teaching and, and instilling doctrine in the church. And then finally go over to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Beginning in verse 1, Peter writes to the elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers. Same word as the word bishops, serving as bishops or as pastors, not by compulsion, not willingly, uh, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, uh, shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of, crown of glory that does not fade away. Praise God. I'm looking forward to that day. Hallelujah. Amen. He said, shepherd the flock of God. Well, shepherding the flock of God in, is, a, is a pretty broad uh, concept, pretty broad uh, idea. It certainly includes feeding the flock of God. So you can see that uh, when the church came together, there were many different components of a typical service. And, and I'm not saying that every church service would necessarily have every one of these things, but these were the common components in a the service. They came together and they praised and worshiped God. They, they, they prayed together. They observed communion together. The, the pastor would teach the word of God and, and instill doctrine in the church. But there was also an element in the church of what I like to call body ministry, where it wasn't just a one-man show, that others were involved in bringing life into the congregation. Go with me, if you would, over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Hallelujah. It talks about when Jesus 
set these ministry gifts in the church in verse number 11. He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. What for? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Now, you know, we can interpret that in a lot of different ways, or we can, I should say, we could apply that in, in a lot of different capacities. The pastor's responsibility, and really all of these ministry gifts' responsibility, is to equip the church, equip the various uh, members of the church, the entire body, to equip the church for the work of ministry. Well, you know, sometimes we look at it uh, just, just in a real narrow sense, in, in the sense of just serving in the church. You know, the word ministry simply means service. And so one translation I, said, I think reads that God would get his people uh, prepared uh, as workers, gospel workers. And so there's a sense where the, the ministry gifts have been given to the church to equip the church so that everyone would be a worker in the church. Well, that's good. That's true. But there are, all, there are other areas of ministry. There's ministry within the, the uh, time we come together to worship and, and study the Word. There's, as, as all being filled with the Spirit, we all have potentially something to contribute to the service. Amen. It's not supposed to be uh, just the teacher or preacher or pastor doing all the ministry. Certainly he had a place. Certainly, just like I'm doing tonight, it's, it's my responsibility to teach the Word of God. But it's not, my, it's not solely my job to do all of the ministry that takes place in a service. Amen. Uh, here we, we see this verse, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. See, the church is supposed to be edified and built up. And the church is edified and built up when the pastor brings the word of God. When the pastor is teaching, when the, when, when the uh, regular song leaders, you know, are leading us in praise and worship, they're, they're not supposed to be worshiping for us. They're leading all of us in worship. And, uh, and so there's edification that comes from that. But there are other ways that God wants to edify the church. Go with me over to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, Romans 12, and let's look at verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Now he's talking here to the whole church. Amen. He's not talking to just the preachers. He's talking to everybody. Having then gifts Differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Now, he mentions different categories of, of gifts here. He, he mentions the, what we call spiritual gifts. And he does so by talking about prophecy. He said, if prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let, it, let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So he's talking about different people in the local church having different gifts. Some having to do with prophesying or the gifts of the spirit as we call them, the vocal gifts. Some in the area of teaching, some with exhorting. You know, it's not just my job. It's not just my responsibility. Amen. In a true New Testament church, the church is alive. Amen. And the people come together and, and, and there's a contribution that's made from one and another. Not everyone in every service, but uh, uh, it should be everyone at some service. Uh, distributed over time. Isn't that right? Amen. And, and so he, he lists different things here. And then in 1 Peter chapter 4, we have another reference to this kind of body ministry. Now, I, I use the term body ministry because I think it's very appropriate, but I, I'm also cautious because I read a, a book many, many, many years ago about body ministry. And that's, I think that was the name of the, of the book. Something in the name of the book was body ministry. But this book 
uh, tended to leave the impression that God's no longer going to be working through the, you know, through, uh, the ministry gifts that it's all going to be body ministry, that nobody's in charge, that, you know, the, uh, well, that's not true. And so I, I hesitate to use that term because uh, some people have used it and taken it uh, in, in a direction that the script, that's unscriptural. But the term really is a good term, body ministry. It just means that the body, individual members of the body, are involved in ministry. Here in 1 Peter chapter 4, he said, uh, verse number 10, as each one has received a gift minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, we can use, we can apply this to a lot of things. If you have a gift of, of uh, uh, organization, for instance, if you're real good at organi organizing and, and leading projects and things, then uh, when we put you over a project, I'm thinking of Kim here, she's really gifted at, at handling fellowships putting together all of the details of it. She's just gifted in that. And, and so he says, if you've received this gift, then minister it. Well, she ministers that to all of us. Isn't that right? And then there are people that uh, are given to music and, and, uh, and playing instruments and singing. And, and so they do minister to us in that capacity, but they also lead us in worship. Amen. But then he goes on to say, uh, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God or the utterances of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Well, praise God. Now let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And look at a few verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. <clears throat> Verse 1 says, Concerning spiritual gifts or the things of the Spirit, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. And then he goes on in, in verse 4. He says, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of workings, or uh, it says activities, it's the same word that's translated workings in the workings of miracles. Diversities of workings, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one. Not to one or two, but to each one. Can you see that? The manifestation of the Spirit in the New Testament church, it's the plan of God that the manifestations of the Spirit come through each one, not through just one or two. Amen. And, and it'll, it'll, it's gonna, it will require us rethinking how we approach a service in order for us to really truly move in to uh, the place of of, uh, of flowing with the Spirit the way He wants to flow today. I'm absolutely convinced that God wants us to have the same kind of services today that they had then. Amen. Amen. But uh, uh, because it's so foreign to us, it's going to take some effort. It's going to take some, some willingness. It's going to take some desire, some, some, some determination on everybody's part. From the back row to the front row. From side to side. Amen. Do, do we want a New Testament church? Amen. He said, uh, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Not for their own profit, but for the profit of all. See, in order for us to have a New Testament church, there has to be a desire that everyone is blessed. And see, uh, not, not that I'm blessed for my sake, but that I can come and the Spirit manifest through me so that all can be blessed. And see, the all being blessed is dependent upon the each one having the manifestation of the Spirit. And unless the each one has the manifestation of the Spirit, then the all can't receive edification. Amen. 
Now, you know, we get edified by the word. You're getting edified tonight by the teaching of the Lord. But there are different kinds of edifications. There's different ways the spirit would edify and build you up. And so we need all of these ways. Amen. Uh, In chapter 14, it says, desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Who would that include? Who would that include? Would it include you? If it includes you, put your hand up. You put them down real quick. You didn't want anybody to see it. Put your hand up if it includes you. Yeah. Well, it includes everybody. He said, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. In verse, chapter 12, verse 31, he said, eagerly, earnestly desire these gifts, but then especially that you may prophesy. We should all have a desire, an earnest, eager desire for prophecy to flow through us. And a prophecy is inspired utterance in your own natural language, bringing a fresh, inspired word from the Lord to edify and exhort and comfort and enrich the whole church. Amen. Uh, In chapter 14 also, verse 12 said, even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Well, see, the, the church, particularly in this church at Corinth, we have the best picture the best window, the best insight into the workings of a spirit-filled church here in these chapters than we have anywhere else in the Bible. Now, the Corinthians, had a, they were zealous for spiritual gifts. And they were so eager to move in the spirit, they became selfish about it. And they were more, they, they, they uh, uh, moved to a place where they were more interested in edifying themselves than edifying somebody else. And we all know that speaking with other tongues edifies the person speaking. And so they were all speaking with other tongues and it seems like when they came together, that's all they wanted to do was just speak with other tongues. And because of that, uh, the person speaking was getting edified, but the rest of the church wasn't. And so uh, Paul had to correct that But not one time in these chapters did he ever suggest that what they had was not by the Spirit of God. He never once suggested that they had anything counterfeit or that it was of the devil or that they, uh, 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 what they had was wrong. He just said you need to exercise it with greater wisdom and in more love for one another. In other words, we should be concerned to edify the other man. Even so, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of of the church that you seek to excel. I would say this. Let us be zealous for spiritual gifts. It, It really wouldn't be accurate for me to say, since you're so zealous for spiritual gifts, because you're really not. So, so, uh, I have to say it differently than Paul said. Isn't that right? So be zealous for spiritual gifts. Be zealous. But seek to excel in edifying the church. Amen. Go, to, go with me to chapter 14. And well, we're in chapter 14. Look at verse 26. How is it then, brethren? Now, th- this, is, this is describing a typical service at Corinth. He says, how is it then, brethren, whenever you come together... Each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. When you come to brethren, when you come together, how is it then, brethren, whenever you come together? So the indication is this is what happened whenever they came together. In other words, this was a common occurrence. It was common whenever they came together. You could say each time they came together. This wasn't an occasional phenomenon. But whenever they come together, he said, whenever you come together, each one of you has 
a psalm, a teaching, a tongue, a revelation, an interpretation. And this isn't an exhaustive list. A psalm is listed, but also a spiritual song or hymn would be included in that. Isn't that right? Uh, a tongue, an interpretation, a prophecy. Prophecy is not listed here, but we know he includes that in the whole uh, uh, tenor of the, of the chapter has to do with prophecy. So, so we know prophecy is included in this. Notice when the church came together, they came and they had something. Let me say it differently. They came with something. Whenever you, whenever you come together, each of you has. Not each of you acquires when you get there. See, they came to church and they had something when they came. When they came through the doors, they had something. Well, where did they get it? When did they get it? They got it at home. They got it in their personal uh, times of devotion and spending time with the Lord, worshiping the Lord and praising the Lord and praying about, about his will for their life and just praying in general and praying for the church. They, they came with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, messages in tongues, interpretation, prophecies, teachings, exhortations. They came with these things. That's foreign to the, to the church today. Amen. Now just relax. I dare say that not many people tonight came with any of these things. See, when they came to church, they had something. The reason they had something was because it was alive in them all week long. Now, now you know, we have, our, we have our ordinary lives, but the things of the Spirit need to be in our lives every day. And see, because the Spirit was moving in their lives every day, they couldn't wait to come to church because they had something. Amen. 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 I, like I said, I dare say that when we assemble together at, at Impact Family Church, I would say uh, most of the time, even, even in route to church, when you're finished with everything else, you, whatever you're gonna do that day, it's done, now you're leaving, you're going to church, there's nothing else I can do in this natural world, I'm going to church. Even then, our minds aren't on God. I, I say that's probably the case, don't you? It's really on other things. And I know it is. Because when, when folks get here, now, fellowship is good. And this is not law. This is not, you know, condemning. But when all that's talked about is hunting, fishing, I'm not, not picking on hunters and fishing, shopping, school, work, football, thank you. Think so? Football, basketball. In other words, when, when that's what everybody's interested in, even when we come into the service, into the church, that's, that's, that's it, that, all of those things. They didn't come preoccupied with those things. So, well, they didn't have all of those things. They had lives. They had responsibilities. They had their culture. They had the things to deal with. But see, they came because more than anything else, it's not wrong to talk about football. I mean, it's, it's not, it's, yeah, am I saying that? It's not wrong to talk about football. It's not wrong to, to, to uh, have interests. And, and it's not wrong to, to fish and to hunt and all those things. I, I enjoy doing some of that. But there should be that element of the freshness of the Spirit in our lives that when we come together, we're so excited because we're coming together and, and we're gonna have a Holy Ghost gathering. And the Spirit of, and we have something that we can bring from the Spirit of God to enrich the church. And, 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 and we not only know that we're, having, we're gonna bring something, but we can't wait to see what gifts other people are bringing. 
What, what, you know, we get together at Christmas time and we, and we exchange gifts and, and little kids are just so excited because, you know, they just, they can't wait to see what's under the tree. Just can't wait to see what, what, what kind of gifts are, are, are gonna be open that day. We, it ought to be that way in church. The Holy Spirit has these gifts and we're all to bring them. It says, when you come together, each one of you has something, has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, an interpretation, a, a prophecy, a revelation, a hymn. All of these things would be included in something by the Spirit. Well, we'll, we'll, have, to, we'll have to break into this in a gradual way. This, this is going to require a real transformation of our thinking, isn't it? Huh? It's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to require a transformation in our own personal lives in order to have this kind of dynamic working in the church. And see, when, when, when they came together, there was, a, there was a, a sense of community, but it was around the spirit. There was a sense of sharing and, and giving, but it was, it was something motivated by the Holy Spirit. They were stirred by the spirit. And they had something. Amen. I I remember a number of years ago in our uh, Pentecostal denomination, the church that I went to, we had our customs and uh, pretty much like we have today. And uh, in in our particular church, though, we had our, our custom for for praise and worship. We really didn't call it praise and worship. We called it the song service. And the song service consisted of, in our particular group, we had what we called an open choir, an informal choir. In other words, we'd start the service and everybody who wants to come to the choir, there was seating in the, uh, on the platform for a choir. Anybody that wants to sing in the choir, come up. So it was not a rehearsed choir. And about a third of the church usually would go to the choir. Just in my memory, that's about what I remember. About a third of the congregation would go to the choir and about two-thirds of the church would sit and watch them sing. And the choir would sing and those who came to the choir came because they loved to sing praises to God. And they'd sing, you know, with a smile on their face and the, and the glory of God on them and the rest of the congregation would just sit back and not even sing along. Most of the time, people did not sing. If you're going to sing, you go to the choir. The reason I'm sitting out here is I don't want to sing. So we, we, had, we had a third of the church that would do the praising and worshiping, and the two-thirds of the church would watch them praise and worship God and be thoroughly happy with it and even feel blessed that the choir got happy. And if the spirit really moved in the choir and people really got, uh, you know, moved on by the spirit and there was just a real anointing came on it, the church was just that much happier that the choir was flowing with the spirit and, and just and singing to them. And most of the churches sat out there and just, oh, this is just wonderful, praise God. They're singing to God and worshiping the Lord. That, it's a, it was a weird thing now and I, in, in, in what we have now to think back of the way we did that, but that's, what, that's the way it was done. Well, also, uh, in our particular church, local church, the pastor would appoint someone uh, to uh, sort of preside over some of these services. And on Wednesday nights, he he would appoint a, uh, they called it family training night, on Wednesday night, uh, family night. And they would appoint, the pastor would appoint a family training night director. And so at, at some point, I, I got back into fellowship with the Lord in my uh, early 20s, around 20, I guess. And, uh, you know, the young people in the church really brought revival. I mean, the Spirit of God working through the younger people. I'm talking about young adults in the church. And, and I, I appeal to, to, to the young adults tonight. Because if, if there's anybody that can inspire an entire congregation, it's the younger people. And younger people tend to be, just by nature, more risk takers than older people. Young people, by nature, 
are, are more willing to step out, do things, try things, get out of the boat than older people are. The older you are, the more inclined you are to just not do anything different than what you've already done. You get more set in your ways the older you get. Is that right? Huh? Yeah, we all know that to be true. And so the young people in the church, the young adults in the church were really, in our church, were really hungry. We were really hungry for God and really hungry for the move of the Spirit. And uh, so the Spirit of God began to manifest himself uh, among the young people and we were growing in the Lord. Well, the pastor saw God's hand on my life and so he appointed me as the director for the Wednesday night service. Well, all that it, it, director was, was way too big a title for what I did because basically I was the MC of the service. What are y'all laughing about over there? <laughs> Have you been there? It was my job on Wednesday night to open the service. And what that consisted of was having everybody stand, lead the congregation in a prayer, not lead them, just pray over them because they weren't praying very much. And I would pray to open the service. Then I would say, everyone who wants to sing in the choir, go ahead and come forward. So I kind of emceed the service. I was just a young man in my, in my mid-20s this time. And uh, so, you know, the ones that wanted to sing would come to the choir and, and we'd have a choir director and they'd lead the choir and the two-thirds of the church sit back and watch and enjoy that and thought they, that was a good thing, you know, just to watch somebody praise God. And uh, I mean, and occasionally, every now and then, there'd be somebody that would sing quietly. But if you got singing very, very loudly, somebody's going to tap you on the shoulder and say, why don't you go to the choir <laughs> if you want to sing? And so then after the choir uh, sang, I would get up again and I would receive the offering. And I would usually call on somebody to I would call the ushers forward. The ushers would come forward. And then I would usually uh, look out and find one of the ushers that uh, uh, looked like he was paying attention to pray over the offering. And so one of the ushers would pray and then we received the offering and they'd play an instrumental. And then after the instrumental, uh, we had classes, uh, adult classes that people went to. And there was a, a Bible study in the auditorium and then there were these other classes. And so I would dismiss everybody to go to their regular class and then my job was over. So like I said, it wasn't a director of anything. I was just sort of emceeing the service. But uh, I, you know, had been praying and just uh, us young men in the church. What time is it? Good night. I had no idea it was this late. I thought it was about 8.15. I'll tell you what happened next week. I completely got out of, of the box one service and, and to everybody's amazement, the Spirit of God moved and I did something that was totally not ever seen in that church. And it brought great blessing. I'll tell you what it was next week. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't realize I'd wasted too much time here. Praise the Lord. Well, we'll see you next, uh, we'll see you on Sunday. Praise the Lord. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.